0: Well, I'm doing everything I can to be a passionate follower of the World Cup during actual football season. I get that it's a big deal, this World Cup. People tell me there are billions of people all over the world watching it, so I know I'm supposed to be into it. And I really am trying. I'm evolving, and I'm doing the best I can. But as a 50-plus-year-old guy, football to me is just a different sport uh, the problem for me, and I think others maybe who are a bit like me, uh, who just didn't grow up watching soccer, it just seems so slow. <laughs> Will they ever score a goal? And in fact, sometimes we don't score a goal, and I'm even told that that was good, that we did well. No one scored. Okay. I'm learning. Uh, but what I sense is that part of the intrigue of soccer is in the waiting of it, of waiting for the right opportunity, waiting for the opponent to make a mistake, waiting for the perfect moment to strike, waiting for the ball to be at the right place, and in a sense, waiting is part of the overall beauty and intrigue of the game. Last Sunday in our Sunday school class in the Vine class, we had an interesting discussion which surrounded the way in which the Lord grows our faith, the way in which he matures us, Specifically, we were studying Abraham and Sarah and how long they had to wait until God provided the son he had promised. But in that discussion, it kind of dawned on me and perhaps others in the room that the act of waiting is kind of the ongoing theme of the Christian life, if you will. In some ways, waiting is often what we do. Aren't we always waiting on something Even this morning, I suspect there are issues on your mind or in your heart that you're ready for the Lord to come, to resolve, to deal with, to deliver, or to complete. It could be serious things like a medical diagnosis, or it could be the anticipation of this semester coming to an end, but either way, you have to wait. And it's in the waiting that we find out our trust is ultimately in God's provision and in His timing. It's in the waiting that our character is exposed. It's in the waiting that we mature. It's in the waiting that what's inside of us gets revealed. So I ask you this morning, what are you waiting on the Lord to do today? What are you waiting on Him to do? So this morning, as Stephen mentioned, does begin our Advent series here at TCPC and around the world. And this season serves to prepare us, of course, for Christmas, the coming of Jesus, But the real intent of participating in these four weeks of Advent is for the purpose of causing our hearts to be reminded, to remember what it was like to wait for Christ to come. Advent means the coming, and it represents the space of God's people longing for the Messiah to come of waiting for God to fulfill His promises of the one who would come to this earth and take our sin from us and restore us to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Advent reminds our hearts that we are waiting on Him still. This year, for our Advent season, our sermon series will focus on the four traditional themes of Advent, which are love, joy, peace, and hope. And all of these are tied, in a sense, to the theme of waiting, in that we long for them to be perfectly fulfilled in our lives now. With the first coming of Christ, they are actualized, but in the second coming of Christ, we will know them perfectly, and we long for that day. So this morning, we will consider the theme of love and be reminded that as we wait for God's provision in our lives Even, yes, as we wait for the return of Christ to complete his kingdom, we wait with this ongoing reality that God's love for us produces confidence in him as we wait for all things. We're going to see this morning that confidence is our theme as we understand God's great love for us. Our passage does come from Lamentations. It's from the Old Testament. Obviously, this is a book of laments. It's the title of the book. It's a, a poem of sadness. It's a season of darkness. It records the time when God's Old Testament people lived in captivity. When they were living where they should not have been. They lived in a place where they were removed from the place of God's blessing. And they longed to go back. They longed to be restored. They longed for God to bring about his favor to them once again. And I would suggest that in a similar way. We as God's people today here in the new covenant, we also wait, we also long for the return of our king, for all of his blessing to find their fulfillment here in our lives. I want to see two things from our passage this morning, and that is as we wait for Jesus's second advent, his return, I want you to see first the temptation of forgotten love, and then secondly, the reality of perpetual love. The temptation of forgotten, the reality of perpetual. My prayer for us this morning is that as we wait for Christ, our lives may be strengthened as we see his love for us. Look back, verses 19 and 20 of Lamentations 3. You need to know the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah's life and ministry greatly influenced these words. Let me read them again. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, The wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. If you remember Jeremiah, he was the one commissioned by God to record the events of the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity of God's people. As a prophet, Jeremiah was tasked with the role of warning God's people in Judah to renounce their sin, to renounce their idolatry, to return to his good law and to follow him and to build their lives upon his promises. Yet what we know from the Old Testament is that time and time and time again, the people refused to do that very thing. They would not follow the God who had rescued them out of Egypt and provided the promised land for them. No, they always wanted to imagine a new way of life. These very people always preferred, quote, other gods to give their devotion rather than their creator God who loved them. Their sin was this perpetual pride of thinking that they could come up with a life better than the one that the Lord had for them. They wanted to exchange their heritage of God's faithfulness for something that they had invented. God referred in Jeremiah to them as adulterers, in that they would not be loyal, they would not be faithful to their heavenly spouse, and desired to give their hearts to someone else. The message of Jeremiah's ministry was clear. Yahweh would not tolerate their cycle of sin forever. Thus, in chapter 39 of Jeremiah's prophecy, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. God's chosen people were led into captivity in Babylon. And just pause here for a second and let this sink in as we think about these words in Lamentations 3. This is an awful story. It's true. It's in the Bible But it's sad and that's why we have this book of Lamentations to realize the sadness of what was going on Here God's chosen people The ones for whom he loved the ones for whom he invented and created all of this for us The ones he had loved for eternity past And here they were Living as refugees in a place Far from his blessing And under the rule of a regime who didn't even know or care of God's law The scene this morning is tragic. And Lamentations is a collection of poems written during the captivity to express their disbelief of what has happened in their life their anger, their pain, their confusion, their hurt. They can't believe where they are. But picture them there, God's chosen people, living as slaves in a foreign country with no worship, no Sabbath, no fellowship. No hope except for this one thing, and that is that God had told them their captivity would not last forever. That's it. At some point, it would end, but they would have to wait. Sometime in the future, they would return to the city of God and worship him yet again, but that day was not today, and they had to wait. They had to spend years in longing. They had to trust that the God who said he would be faithful would, in fact, be faithful, even though it surely felt like he had long forgotten them. Hear these words again. My soul continually remembers. That is, his affliction and his wanderings. So when we looked at verses 19 and 20 here, it makes sense in that context. We see how easy it is to be tempted to think that God has forgotten us, that God has abandoned us. And the writer here remembered these afflictions, and his soul continually remembered them. You know what he's saying? He's being brutally honest about his life. That as he looks at his own surroundings, when he looks at his circumstances, when he looks at his life and what it is, it's not what he thought it would be. All he sees is that which is wrong. As he waited, as he longed for deliverance, it felt impossible to see anything other than how far away he was from what he thought his life was supposed to be. And in his waiting, he was overcome by the reality that life is just not right. And he remembered in his heart when times were different and life was better, And again, he was tempted to think God had abandoned or forgotten him. Verses 19 and 20 surely imply that this writer battled this assumption. Does the Lord care about me at all? Again, this is tragic. It's sad. It's a lament. That's why it's in lamentations. But I do wonder, if we're being honest this morning... That can't we sometimes often relate to the author here? Isn't it sometimes easy for us to look at our circumstances and just assume God has surely forgotten all about me? Does he still care about me? Does he remember me? Is he actually involved in my life? Because if I just look at my circumstances, it's tempting sometimes to think perhaps he doesn't. The reality is, our situation is not completely different from that of the old covenant days. Not completely. You see, as Jeremiah waited for his captivity to come to an end and bring freedom, we are still waiting on Christ to come and bring our freedom in its fullness. You see, we too live in a place that seems to care nothing for God's goodness and his law and his perfection. We too remember our personal mistakes, our sin, our choices, We, too, live with consequences of how we've been sinned against and the results of other people's choices against us. We, too, live with evil surrounding us, and we want deliverance. And even though we know Christ, even though we have his spirit, even though we have his word, even though we live here in his church, we, too, can be tempted to feel altogether abandoned, to be confused by life. So I ask you this morning, what are you waiting on the Lord to do? Are you also sometimes tempted to think he has just forgotten you? When I was a kid, I had a favorite book that my parents read to me a lot. And I read it to my kids as well. I don't know if you all still read this book or not, but it was entitled, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Y'all remember Alexander? I love that guy. It was a little boy who for one day, nothing went right. Nothing. Not school, not siblings, not buying shoes after school, not visiting his dad's office, nothing. It was only bad and all day. Even in Australia, some days, just bad. But if you remember, the moral of the story was just for Alexander to go to bed, and tomorrow it would be different. That sounds great. The only problem for Alexander, no actual problems were solved. It was just put an end to this day, and maybe tomorrow will be different. And my question for us this morning is that as we wait for Jesus to come, for him to return and make our salvation complete, where is the power to live in confidence? Where is the power to know, to be ensured that we will not live in despair? Now, look at verses 21 and 22, and be prepared this morning to be encouraged. There's a transition here, and it is great. We've seen the temptation of forgotten love. Now, notice this reality of perpetual love. Let me read again, verse 21 and 22. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This verse is why I chose this passage for the first Sunday of Advent. You see, what happened in the writer's life is the very thing which must happen in our lives if we want to experience God's supernatural power this Christmas. In what appeared to be a hopeless and helpless situation... In which the author felt like his life had been abandoned. The Holy Spirit did something inside of his life that only God can do. Again, look back and see this in verse 21. The Lord opened the mind of the writer to remember something. His mind recalled things from the past. His mind was awakened That is, his mind woke up and realized something that was more powerful than just the reality of his circumstances. Yet when his mind was awakened, it did not matter if he was in Babylon or anywhere else. When his mind was quickened, his heart was filled with hope. And everything about his life changed, even though his circumstances didn't change at all. Do you see what the Lord brought to his mind? What was it? What did the Holy Spirit remind him? God didn't remove his captors. God didn't take him out of Babylon. No, that would have been nice, but that's not what the Lord did. Rather, the Lord reminded him of one thing, and that one thing was all he needed, and it was this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It does not stop. How God looks at us in Christ never stops. No changes in his life per se, but one change in his heart, and it made all the difference. His mind was impacted, meaning this was truth. It wasn't just a feeling, though I'm sure that was part of it. It wasn't subjective. It was a fact, something that cannot change. And church, I believe with all of my heart that every one of us need to have this exact same experience happen To us throughout this Advent season, that God's perpetual love is real and is happening no matter what is happening all around you. No matter what has been done to you, no matter what you have done, you cannot escape this love. Here's the key to the passage it's found in the Hebrew term here that's used for love, it's a little tricky. The author here uses the Hebrew word hesed to show the relationship, the type of love that he has for us. You see, we in the English translate this word as love, and that's true, but in fairness, there's not an equal word that we have in our language to capture what this means. God's love for us is greater than what we can typically imagine love being. The Hebrew term here is arguably the very most important word in all of Scripture, because it defines the very essence of who God is. His love for us is not merely this emotional feeling that we may think of in terms of love. No, this word, his love, is directly related to how he treats us. As I studied this week, the best definition I saw was this, and that is in his Hesed love, God is passionately loyal To us in Christ he doesn't tolerate you he's passionately loyal so church the interpretation goes something like this it does not matter what situation you're in today it does not matter whether it's your fault or someone else's fault you are a victim of someone else but I am passionate for you God is saying to us, his love for us is intense. Of all the essence of who God is, that is the fullness of his love. He hasn't forgotten you this morning because he can't forget you. His very being is found in his love for us. It's impossible for him to forget you. One of the great things I love about our church is the celebration of lengthy wedding anniversaries. I don't know all of them, but some of them uh, I found out about this past week. One, Harry and Nadia Staniger celebrated their 60 years of uh, wedding, and Harry was here working at the church. It was perfect. Uh, But last night, I talked to Paul McGuire um, just after his wife had gone home to be with the Lord, and he told me that this Christmas day would have been their 63rd wedding anniversary on Christmas. So every Christmas for over 60 years, they celebrated their life together. Decade after decade after decade. How is that possible? I don't know all the details of what was involved in their marriage, but there was a commitment to make it last Church, understand this morning in Christ, God's love for you is perpetual. You can't outrun it. His favor for you is real. Friends, God's commitment to us in Christ is the basis of all that we believe this morning. He is actively pursuing us today. He's constantly reminding us today that he is for us. He's working out his plan in our lives. He sees Christ in you. You see, this morning when Jesus came to this earth as this baby, this child had all the fullness of God inside of that manger. The intensity of his love was there when he came for us. And that baby grew to be a man, and that man would live perfectly and die for us so that we could know his love. When your faith is in the person of Christ, you cannot be any more loved than what you already are. God is passionately loyal to you. From the manger to the cross, to his eventual return, Jesus' message is that you are loved intensely. So a couple thoughts of application this morning as we prepare to come to the table. First thing I ask you to do during this Advent season, will you ask God to help you remember his love for you? Seriously, ask him to do in your life the very same thing he did in the writer of Lamentations. Ask for this miracle that your mind may be renewed, that in Christ your heavenly Father is in love with you. Will you ask him to do that? And then secondly, the natural overflow of that. Will you ask God to give you his supernatural love to someone that you don't want to love during this Christmas season? Don't be selfish with Advent. Be willing to love those who are hard to love. God has been merciful to us in Christ. It is a miracle that we are now lovable. Christ, it took him coming to make it possible, but he came. and Therefore, he's alive inside of you. Will you love someone who doesn't deserve it this year? You can do it in Christ. You see, those who actually understand soccer tell me that every detail of every possession in a soccer match matters. Every play, every kick, every moment of defense, it's all part of the grand plan for a team to actually score and ultimately win. You see, in every space in your life this morning where you are waiting for God's blessing, there is room for you to see his love. There is room for you to notice how passionately loyal and faithful he is to you. See, all of our lives work together for God to show his love to us. Friends, as we enter this Advent season, no, you are not forgotten. Jesus cannot do that. God's love is with you today and tomorrow and forever. Amen? Amen. Let me pray and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come around this feasting table. Father, as we consider the words of promise that you have given us here, Lord, help our hearts to believe that what Jesus says is true of us is indeed true. Lord, we want to know, we want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Show us afresh this Christmas your great love for us. And now as we come to this table, this banquet table of love, do that again, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.